Hi, this is Beth AQ, and this is the podcast of The Glass House, a weekly radio show that airs on Triple R each Wednesday. The Glass House is a space for spoken word artists, poets, sound makers, audio storytellers, emerging cultural leaders, thinkers, writers, and anyone who celebrates story as a means of self-expression, self-representation, and community building. I hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via Twitter at BethanyAQ or the Triple R website. Everyone in the world has gone to bed one night or another with fear or pain or loss or disappointment. And yet each of us has awakened, arisen. There is the nobleness of the human spirit, despite it all, black and white. Asian, Spanish, Native American, pretty, plain, thin, fat, vowed or celibate, we rise. Glasshouse here on Triple R. My name is Beth AQ. Delighted to be with you for another Wednesday. Huge thank you, as always, to the incredible Mel Cranenberg for the last hour of Backstory. If you did miss it, you can always catch up on the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. We can now get it on podcast. I begin by acknowledging that we broadcast on the stolen, unceded lands of the Kulin Nation. We broadcast on the lands of the Wondery people who have cared for this land since time immemorial. I acknowledge First Nations people as the first storytellers of this land and pay my deepest respects to elders past and present, always was and always will be Aboriginal land. You are in the Glass House for another Wednesday afternoon. It is a space for spoken word artists, poets, sound makers, audio storytellers, emerging cultural leaders, thinkers, writers, and anybody who celebrates story as a means of self-expression, self-representation, and community building. We have a big show, as always, coming up today. In about 10 minutes, I will be joined by brilliant local poet, Manisha Anjali, to chat about her brand new poetry chapter. Book. It is called Electric Lotus. And a little bit later on in the program, I'll be joined by award-winning sound designer Emma Botignon ahead of her appearance this weekend at the Australian International Documentary Conference. She's going to be in a session called Telling Stories with Sound. And she'll be joined by some incredible local audio producers. So we're going to be chatting about the latest in audio storytelling. All that and more. I've got a giveaway a little bit later on in the program, so I do hope you can stay with me. Up first, we're going to take something from Les Amazons d'Afrique. You're in Triple R. 
This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. You're listening to Triple R, Kim Jung Mi there, Gana Dharma Basa. That one is from now, and we're going to be talking about that in just a little bit. Before that, Les Amazons d'Afrique with Dogon. You are in the glass house, and I'm very excited to have my first guest joining me in studio. Manisha Anjali is a writer and artist working with text, performance, and installation. Her practice and research explores narratives and languages of dreams and exile. She's just released a new interactive text designed for play and performance. It's called Electric Lotus, and it's an inquiry into the ecstatic. Is it synthetic, manic, or electric? It is published by the Incendium Radical Library Press, and it was written during uh, the summer residency in 2019. Manisha, thank you so much for coming in. Beth, thank you so much for having me here. It's always a pleasure. Um, And yeah, obviously just a massive fan of you and your work. It's great to have you back on the show. Um, Shall we start with uh, reading? Yes. So this is one of the first poems in the collection. It's called Shy Cabbage. I stitch my tongue to a lotus cabbage head. I stunt my growth by applying powder to my amnesia. It sticks to my eye like a flowering, flowering gramophone. It is not that I can't speak. In my past life as a teacher, I cut off my own head with a handmade instrument to give to the people of the swan. Now my ring finger rides between the lips of a carnivorous flower. A pink circle on my left wrist represents the way my blood turns to cotton when my mouth is absent. I trust the feeling of yellow and other incarnations of the sun. I play melodica to my reflection and my reflection does not play back because my reflection is not a loop machine. My reflection is a time machine. It is not that I can't speak. It is that expression in the face of a cabbage is shy. There is a text stitched to my tongue which reads, The birth of the saint happened on my skull. The birth of the saint happened on my skull. There is a text stitched to my tongue which reads, A sacrifice made for me is stitched like a curtain. My growth is stunted by C major. That is Manisha Anjali reading from Electric Lotus. Do you want to tell us a little bit about about that poem? Um, Sure. So that is a very introspective little piece. It's one of the darker ones in the text. So the collection encompasses... Um, I divided my life into two things, into torment and euphoria and created a series of little interactive pieces that deal with those states of being, um, considering like shy cabbage and this sort of vortex, this void of torment, um, the following poems 
um, talk about walking into fantastic joy and being in a kind of psychological and physical dreamlike euphoria, something that feels like a religious experience or a gift from the gods um, and moving back and forth between the two states. Mm. I really love that this uh, text is you know, is interactive. You know, it starts with a jukebox performance for a camellia tree and it has uh, an excellent playlist that goes alongside um, the words, which is the song that we played just prior to this. Can you tell us a little bit about your thinking in incorporating like sonic elements to text? Sure. I think it just makes it more fun, to be honest. Um, I also, I think of ways... Uh, people often tell me they hate reading or they can't read as well um, because sometimes reading can be inaccessible or it can be self-indulgent and I want to make something that is a gift and something that people can have a play with and be a part of as well. I do think with everything that I create, um, I think other people's other people project their meanings onto it and I feel like that is more important than my actual intention so I just want to open up a lot more doors and create spaces for play in communities. Mm, I love that so much I was um, reading this out loud with my partner and yeah um, he was saying that he was really you know struggling to access some parts and I was saying Mm -hmm. how yeah it is something that you should just kind of let wash over you and just um, whatever comes off is correct and there's no kind of uh, yeah, I correct is a weird thing, but yeah. you know, there's no right way to interpret it. And exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I do feel like every time I put something out there, it, it belongs to the people then. Mm. And yes, I've got my own, um, intentions behind it, but it doesn't really matter. It's like that Roland Barthes essay, the death of the author. So the death of the author equals the birth of the reader and the birth of literature. Yeah, and then I think it also gives, yeah, power to the reader in a way that Mm -hmm. however they interpret it, whatever experiences they've had, they can also bring that. And it also kind of feels like in a weird way like a collaboration with the writer, like with you. It really does, yeah. Yeah, I do enjoy hearing different interpretations um, when people read my work or just the tangents that the mind goes on, like, oh, it reminds me of this or... Um, those sorts of things. It also makes me think of like communication and meaning making and how those things can be so futile if um, if our two meanings don't match, for example. And I really like um, those those moments of um, difference. Mm. Yeah. I, I want to chat a little bit about, um, you know, you kind of said dreamlike before and kind of your practice of... Um, I know that you do a lot of dream journaling mm-hmm. and I'm just interested in, you know, how that kind of had an effect on, on this body of work. Sure. There's a lot in here created by dreams. So jukebox performance for the camellia tree, the playlist with the QR code. I had a dream that this tree I walked past every day was just like glitching in a funny way and I touched its side and then this David Bowie song started playing from within it. So I thought, ah, oh, this tree's a jukebox. And then... 
to understand the dream because I know that like Carl Jung would do this if he didn't understand a dream he would often paint the symbol that he saw or write about the narrative and just keep at it till he could figure out what it was so I thought maybe I'll do something similar and um, so I went to the tree in real life and just sat with it wrote some notes um, still didn't understand the dream it just felt like a whimsical Alice in Wonderland sort of dream but I decided to write a performance piece for the tree which is a jukebox in the dream world and yeah I love this <laughs> I, yeah I just feel like it's such an amazing otherworldly kind of experience <laughs> to interact with these mm-hmm. um, poems and getting like a glimpse of you know perhaps your subconscious or you know what your dream recollection um, looks and feels like I'm, I'm interested do you think that I suppose your process of um, of dream journaling has changed the way that you're able to recall dreams. Like, do you think that's something that's kind of gotten stronger or changed? Mm. Yes, I do believe because I'm constantly writing them down that my recall is better. It is more an exercise in memory than anything else I find. I don't always remember my dreams, Um but since I started, they've just become more vivid and easier to remember. Mm. Yeah, and, and they do make up the content of like so much of my creative work and or ideas and rabbit holes that I go down. Yeah. I know that you have um, conducted workshops that are kind of around uh, encouraging other people to kind of access this part of, of their mind. Can you, can you chat a little bit about about that and I suppose like yeah because everybody has a wealth of um, experience and yes. ideas to draw on. <laughs> yeah I do I try I facilitate workshops um, where I teach people how to access the unconscious or have conversations with their own subconscious and use that material for creative writing or or any arts practice really and there's um I guess I start by saying that there's no such thing as writer's block because we're all creating this content, like all this imagery and narratives in our sleep all the time. And once you start dream journaling, you actually build up this library of ideas that you've created, you've generated yourself. And if you're ever stuck, you can go back and look through your own, um, your own work and, it's, it's full of ideas, everything that you need to know that you need to be working with that is everything that's the voice of the, the zeitgeist is in your subconscious and it's pretty amazing what you can find when, you're, when you try to begin that dialogue with yourself because your subconscious self and your waking self seem to be two very different things that don't understand each other sometimes. Mm. What's the biggest thing that you think you've learnt about your own subconscious mind by through this practice of dream journaling? Um, I feel like everyone's got different patterns in their dreams and I haven't come to any massive revelations about myself or the world or anything, but I do in my dream patterns, I'll often interact with animals and animals in my dreams represent the divine. And it's often sea creatures like whales and orcas and dolphins. Um, Also in my dreams, I'm always myself and I always seem to do or say things that I would normally as well. Like I've never transformed into another person or another creature or 
yeah, that sort of thing, which seems to be common in other people's dreams. I've noticed as well, like some people dream of particular animals or particular people have like repetitive dreams. So yeah, there's nothing massive that I can pinpoint, but I'm working on it. Mm. Yeah, it it's all very scattered and it's fun more than anything. It's a lot of fun. Absolutely. And it's <laughs> a never ending, I suppose, journey like to yeah, yes. understand that as well. <laughs> Um, if you have just joined us, we are chatting to Manisha Anjali all about her exquisite poetry chapbook, Electric Lotus. Manisha, I know that this uh, collection was created as part of um, a residency at the Incendium Radical Library. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, so Incendium Radical Library is a, it's a community library and a reading room um, and a publishing press with a focus on radical politics and critical literature and I did a summer writing residency with them last year. Um, I initially proposed to write a a book of love poems um, but this is what ended up happening Electric Lotus. Yeah it was a it's it's an amazing space they do so much for the community they have um, prison letter writing workshops and do so many amazing free events for emerging practitioners in the community mm-hmm. and it's out in West Footscray. Um, I'm interested where I suppose you see this kind of chapbook sitting within your your larger body of work. I feel like this chapbook is the beginning or the blueprint for something bigger like I want to delve into more interactive pieces and and even delve further into dream work as well I like that I got to I got to design the whole thing and I got to choose the color and the font and the font color and I want to be more involved in the design process and the aesthetics of my future works I feel do you feel like that's kind of a new realm for you I feel like it is. I did design my previous chapbook as well, but I think um, with this one, it was it was the designs of the poems became the poems themselves. Like there's a lot of geometric shapes in here. And yeah, I think I've just experimented um, in a way that I haven't before. So I definitely feel like it's the start of a new phase in um, writing mm. for me. And I know that you launched uh, the chapbook um, earlier this year um, at the Incendium Radical Library. Um, I suppose, what's it like for you to kind of, you know, write on the page, but then so much of your work is in the performance as well. What was it like kind of bringing it to an audience for the first time? Um, So what I did at the launch was the very last piece, which is the Laughing Liver performance, which you're supposed to cut out and give to your true love to perform this is actually a a version of a writing exercise that I present in my workshops where I use different body parts like your hand or your foot like your foot is laughing your your hand is the concentration of all your evil thoughts and while I'm dictating people are writing whatever comes to their minds and usually at the end of the exercise I'll ask everyone how they feel and they'll say, oh, my, my hand feels really hot. It feels weird. It doesn't feel like it's a part of my body anymore. Um, but with 
the version that's in Electric Lotus, it's I use your liver and it's the first time using an internal organ. And it was my first time presenting it to an audience and nobody was asked to write anything down um, but to close your eyes and just listen to the dictation. I feel like with this text, the performance element is sort of less about me delivering like a performance or people watching me but more about facilitating a kind of experience that will take people inward Mm. yeah I love that (laughs) um Manisha do you want to um maybe do one more reading sure I would love to this poem is called marvelous blue snake marvelous I chop an apple blindfolded because I cannot find beauty in mundane things. Blue snake, I cannot stand still if you move slow like a turtle. I cannot stand still if you are so down to earth that you live underground. Sublime, I laugh open mouth to show you the fruit flies sucking sugar from my gums. I open my throat to show you all the people who live inside. I was too small. Love, marvellous love. I have no memory of opening the door to your house. I do not want to be numb. Tadpole, tadpole, tadpole. I want to be the contemporary of euphoria. I want to be alone when I contemplate my death. I want to love in an analogue body. Mushroom. I recognise the lavender tigers that fell from your palms. Mushroom. I grew them in the future with my ten parsley hands. Balloon, I am not a straight girl, I am a wavy girl. I am loyal to no one. It is Manisha Anjali reading from Electric Lotus. Thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Thank you so much for having me, Beth. I urge everyone to go out and get it. You can. It's available at the Incendium Radical Library, Brunswick Bound and Perfect Splash. You're listening to Triple R. This one is running... This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. Triple R, that one is Kami Ori. Blue Forest, that one is from Blue Nation. Amazing Paris-based duo. And before that... Uh, we did take something from the brand new record. We're new again. It is Chicago drummer and producer uh, Makaya McCraven, which is transforming Gil Scott Heron's final album. Uh, and it's so good. That one is running. It is 25 minutes to two o'clock and you're in the glass house. And I'm very excited to have my next guest joining me in the studio Radio documentaries have long used film language when conceiving of and crafting sound design. And as radio and podcasts are developing a language of their own, what sonic insights can these forms share with their screen cousins? And what more can audio learn from film? Uh, Telling stories with 
Faith Sounds a Listening Party is on this weekend as part of the Australian International Documentary Conference uh, happening on Sunday. And joining me today is award-winning sound designer and multi-instrumentalist for underground lovers uh, and conference artist um, for the conference is Emma um, Portignon. Thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm so excited. I'm, I feel like such a nerd for this kind of conversation. <laughs> um, how did you first enter the world of, um, of sound? I, yeah, I started out um, as a musician and I had dreams of becoming a producer and so uh, like a, a music producer. And so I followed that into a university setting, um, studying media arts at RMIT. And I was surrounded by filmmakers who needed soundtracks done Um, and I I tried my hand at it and I absolutely loved it and I couldn't believe that this was something that people actually did it was a job and I just kept doing it and doing it and just taking instinctive steps really from university into a job and I didn't I was finding out about it as I was doing it and um, I got a job and just kept going and, and you know, it, it just unfolded really for me. Mm. And I know that you mostly work in creating sound for, for visual, for feature films, for documentaries, TV series. I'm interested, you know, what are you most concerned about in your sound practice? What do you, what do you think about? Um, mainly um, when I'm working, I want to try and use the sound to enhance the story, never to distract, um, unless to distract is going to be a positive device. Um, but it's a it's about using sound in the most um, effective way to heighten um, either a character or a character's emotional arc um, to really drive home a genre of a piece so if it's a thriller then really sort of start working with the way that different environments sound and how they can change and how a character's psyche can change in the way that they might be hearing something so it's about working as making the sound work as hard as it can to influence an audience but also not to distract Mm. you know you never want someone to stop and think what was that unless it's an unknown sound for for a reason. I'm interested in um, how your ex- in your experience how the world of sound design has kind of changed in the last I don't know ten years, last five years. Yeah, it's it's um, I think it's changed mostly because of um, streaming television, and so um, once upon a time. Um, you'd either do television or you'd do sound design for films and sometimes you'd cross over. But they were two totally different beasts. Um, Television was just quite fast and and feature films, you'd take a longer period of time to sort of explore the opportunities. Now television is such, um, has such an amazing quality to it and it's almost like smaller little feature films and so the same amount of thought process and the same amount of um, uh, input is needed from the sound design team but it's just in short a little burst and so there's there's also technology I think has meant that people expect more from what they hear you people have home theatre setups and they watch commercial television through 5.1 sound systems and so 
you know, there is um, a lot more opportunity to tell story through sound because of the technology, but also, um, you know, everybody sort of expects a level of quality and and narrative from sound these days. Mm. Um, I'm also interested, I know that you, you know, you're a musician as well as a sound designer. I'm, I'm interested in how I suppose both of those practices inform one another or if they sit alongside one another for you. Yeah, um, I, I think... Um, music is my is like a hobby for me um but i think the one thing that that the similarity for the both of them is that it focuses my my listening practices so when i'm listening for sound my sound work i really do have to focus my listening on what i'm hearing why how it might have been created what i would do under those circumstances and then in a band setup um, similarly, you, you unpick what it is that you're hearing within the band so then you can work out how your part fits in amongst that. And, mm. you know, it's it's about um, always unpicking, determining what everything is and then putting it back together in your head um, insofar as listening is concerned. And I, I do the same thing for both of them, yeah. Mm. I mean, just speaking about that, I'm interested, what are your listening habits like? What what are you listening to? Well, it's it's funny that you say that because um, we're just chatting before about how I'm sort of new to podcasts. I haven't listened to a lot of podcasts because when I finish working, I do like silence <laughs> yeah. or I do like just just natural sounds and, you know, I'm happy to have the radio on in the background, but it, it usually bubbles away just to create an atmosphere, not because I'm specifically listening to anything. Um, but I have been over the last year maybe starting to listen to podcasts and um, I'm, I'm really enjoying what I'm hearing um, just as a punter, you know, like it's and, – and the more I listen to them, the more I get into them, the more I'm starting to learn about them. I, I, I always go to Joe Rogan and, and listen to Joe Rogan podcasts. I, I love them. Um, but um, I've recently um, started listening to Disgraceland, um, which is – amazing uh, particularly from a sound design point of view that just the cacophony of music and how the music has been edited to drive the narrative in that in that podcast is really interesting and um, also um, a podcast that I've recently listened to that I'll be talking about on Sunday is Dolly Parton's America which I mean it, it was kind of the first time I actively started listening as a sound designer to a podcast and I, I was hearing things and started to think that, wow, that's being constructed like you'd construct a film scene mm-hmm. and just hearing little things that I was, you know, might my, my easily pricked up to but also, I mean, really enjoying the story and, and but, you know, loving the pace and loving the editing and loving the choices of music and sound effects and... Um, yeah, just starting to really enjoy that sort of thing about podcasts now. Mm. I think that's so interesting. I, you know, I'm interested. Um, yeah, when you say you're coming to podcasts as a as a punter, and you, it, yeah, what what do you think that? Um, do you think there's anything in the world of podcasting from your experience so far that's kind of a direct influence from what you've been doing in your um, in your sound design work for visuals? Um, so are you, so it is, 
has my work been influenced from what I've been listening to? Oh, no, just what, what you've listened to, do you see any influences from kind of the film world in the way that sound is constructed through podcasts? Oh, um, yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, I, I really do think that um, musically it's probably a lot more obvious to, to, to draw some links mm. where, um, you know, in moments where things get tense, there's sort of long padding music pops up every once in a while um the use of reverb for memory transgressions Mm -hmm. is used quite often and and they're devices that we use all the time in sound design uh, for films but um I also think that there are things happening in podcasts that don't happen and can't happen in sound design for films because of I don't want to say restriction because it's not a restriction to be um for sound to be locked into the vision it's just part of what it is but it does sometimes feel restricting with sound to have to do exactly what it is that you see whereas with podcasts it feels like the sound choices are really focused they're really true if you want something to sound a particular way or if you want to give off an impression of something you make it sound that way whereas in in film sound, you are locked to um, the way something looks, the intended genre, and um, you know the the characters and and how they move around the screen and the sync. You know you can't put your footsteps out of sync, um, and you know just the environments and where it was shot. All these things sort of feel like they're unleashed in a podcast environment, which I find really exciting and which is why when I was listening to Dolly Parton, I was like, this is, this is, they can do whatever they want and they can do whatever they want using cinematic language but in an environment where they can take off and, and it felt like that the possibilities were endless mm. coming from my point of view. If you have just joined us, uh, we are chatting with award-winning sound designer uh, Emma Book. Uh, sorry, I'm going to say it wrong. Bourdignon. Bourdignon. <laughs> Apologies. No worries. Um, I was just I was listening to this, uh, you know, podcast about podcasts the other day, essentially um, that AudioCraft put out, which are in Sydney, and it was a talk with you know an excellent audio producer from the ABC, Sophie Townsend. And she kind of speaks to the importance of emotional visualisation um, and it's something that audio can elicit perhaps more strongly than any other medium. Um, and I suppose by that she means kind of going underneath what things look like but trying to elicit an emotional response first and foremost and perhaps it doesn't matter if the um, the specific visual cues aren't there. Is that something that you, um, I suppose, can relate to when oh, you're listening? A- absolutely. It's it's kind of, I, I guess that's where I'm pa- most passionate is is the way that sound can talk to you. It can talk to, directly to your heart, whereas the visuals, um, for me, provide information and the sound provides the emotion. And it's sort of like a, it's it's sort of like music. Um, was very much like music. I sort of put sound and music in the same ballpark when it comes to this. And that is, you can hear a song that you haven't heard for 10 years and it takes you back to a very specific place and time and how you remember how you felt. I think that sound really does that. And I don't know if it it's because it's very it's it's a much more simpler medium to ingest as a human being than visuals are. Visuals are so 
complex and you've got to take in a lot of information but when you hear sounds it's they just sort of flow into flow into you um and you don't think about what they are they just connect with you or they don't um and I mean I get that's that's my response to it uh but yeah and and because of that I think that you can really use sound to your advantage whether it be in podcasts or sound for film or um in any medium to really subliminally or um non-directly get to your audience Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I can yeah really relate to that. Um, so on the weekend, you're going to be part of the Australian International Documentary Conference. Um, you're joining two excellent local audio producers, Jay Kranz and Miyuki Yokuranta. Um, I know that it's going to be a part listening party and a part of and part ex- ideas exchange. Um, I'm interested. Is there anything that you you're really thinking about that you can you think audio producers can learn from sound design in film? From where I stand right now, I feel the opposite. <laughs> I really do. I feel that, and it's it's probably because you know I'm coming f- at podcasts from a sound designer. I I can't wait to hear what these women have to say because um, to put together a podcast or a radio feature, you don't ha- you, you construct from the ground up, and I think that the way that you you put together your ideas is really interesting as opposed to a sound designer. I'm not taking anything away from what it takes to construct a soundtrack, but we really have a blueprint, which is mm. a cut film in front of us to start layering upon. And so um, I definitely think that it, there are going to be a great exchange of ideas and how we come at um, conceiving of those ideas with our work. But um, I, I I'm really interested myself in learning how, you know, f- from a blank canvas, how you do construct something and and how you plot it out and how you devise of it. Um, mm. When I'm so used to using visuals as my cue, I think it's so interesting that you you say that that you kind of feel new to it, because I feel like in a way, so many people that make podcasts are coming from a different background because it's a you know relatively new medium. So mm. people are kind of coming from it from perhaps somewhere different. Maybe they're a writer first and foremost. Maybe they're a presenter. I, I think that's the 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 fact that you say they're a writer. I think is really important because um, the podcasts that I listen to, which are not just talking heads, they're they're kind of features it's about the construction of the piece that's the most important and again I do touch on it with Dolly Parton I think that the people the um the people that made it are so such incredible writers because they have managed to put a lot of drama into um a story that could also have only been one episode long they've managed to really kind of pull the bones out of it and and write it so well that the sound then has so many opportunities to sort of follow that path and and add to it and even at times I think really drives that particular podcast Mm. but you know I mean and again the example I used before Disgraceland you know it's about sort of um the dirtier grungier side of the music uh people in the music industry and throughout history and the guy that that does that, I can't remember his name, but he um, he uses incredible license to pad out what he thinks has happened, and it's about the writing. You know, it really is about 
the way that they, it's written and how it's communicated that mm. is the most important aspect of it. Mm. And I also see that all of the dis- like the sound decisions as like a form of writing because it's still kind of a – I see it as – there's still editorial decisions about how the narrative is constructed. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so too. I mean they definitely work hand in hand but, you know, it does. it's not at all surprising that somebody who makes a successful podcast – has some aspect of writing in their history and as well as being, you know, very audio savvy. Mm. Do you see, um, I suppose, podcasts in your in your future? Do you know, I've been speaking <laughs> to a friend about podcasts recently and just sort of getting my head around what we're doing on Sunday and she said, you should make one. And I'm like, am I a writer? That's what I ask myself, I, you know, am I a writer? And, you know, what would I have to say? And, I mean, I certainly would love to sound designer podcast I don't even know if that's something that you do it's a thing cool (laughs) Um, I would love to do that but I don't know if I could conceive of one for the from the ground up if I if you know I mean if I could yes (laughs) of course you could um Emma it's been such a pleasure um talking to you thank you you so much for your time thank you uh highly recommend getting down on Sunday it is part of the Australian International Documentary Conference it's called Telling Stories Through Sound um we've been chatting to Emma Bortignon all about it uh she'll be joined alongside Jay Kranz and Miyuki Yokuranta we're gonna take a song and it's almost time for us to this is a podcast from Triple R an independent media organization in Melbourne Australia Triple R is listener supported radio and receives no direct government funding if you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. Hey, it is very much time for me to leave you in the very capable hands of Jonathan Griffiths with New and Groovy. But I do want to say a big thanks to all my guests for joining me this afternoon, Manisha Anjali. Incredible poet. I absolutely loved reading this poetry chapbook. It's called Electric Lotus. Also want to say a massive thank you to Emma Bortignon for chatting to me all about sound. Amazing sound designer. She's going to be at the Australian International Documentary Conference this Sunday for the event Telling Stories with Sound. It's a listening party It's an ideas exchange. Sounds like it's going to be great. I'll be back with you next Wednesday from 1 o'clock. Until then, keep it locked at Triple R. is Beth AQ. Thanks for listening to the podcast of The Glass House, a weekly radio show that airs on Triple R each Wednesday. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via Twitter at Bethany AQ or the Triple R website.